Mr. A here, saying, how y'all doing? Yo! Are you ready to rumble? Or should I say tumble? Cause I don't stumble or bumble like a cracker by combo. Standing on the ground, black feet, dirt, coming worms and charts, and I'm doing it on my turns. Welcome to the Rumble. We are back and better than ever helping you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. We don't want you sucker punched. So we're here each and every week helping you keep your guard up. I am Jeremy Lavelle with Remedy Claims Consulting at Claims Coach on Instagram and TikTok. And they just call me the mouth of the South. Alongside of me is the catastrophe queen, the claims dame, Miss Jessica Odell and the obligingly omnicompetent. And the open-mindedly optimistic, the one, the only, baby cakes, Miss Donna Lavelle. How is everybody doing today? Good. Fantastic. I am too. Um, Jess, are you guys busier than normal? I mean, for like this time of year, are you noticing that a lot is sort of going on that seems to be kind of out of, out of season? Because we're busy. Um, I think there were so many, deli- well, I'm just only speaking from Florida and now I'm speaking from a construction side. So a little less on the PA side, but from a construction side, especially in Florida, it seems like so many people were just trying to give their carriers a chance after Hurricane Ian. And finally, after, you know, the eight to 12 month mark, now everybody's flocking to PAs and attorneys. And now everybody's looking for contractors to actually get the work. Cause now a few checks here and there are starting to come in. So it's been a year and they're just now starting to be able to put their lives back together. So we do have an uptick right now, man. Appraisals are off the charts. The number of appraisals that I'm being approached with and I'm having to handle the, um, the number just just the number of claims and contractors getting frustrated because I think it's finally filtering down and contractors that didn't know about public adjusters are finding more and more out um, yes. about how claims are are negotiated and handled. So I'm seeing that, um, you know, the referral I'm actually getting two or three degrees of referral where people are calling me and saying a guy referred me to you and i was like oh really what's his name well it's somebody you've and it ends up being somebody i've never heard of you know and and then i call that person or i get a chance to talk to that who who did you refer how did you hear about me well it was this other person that you've never heard of and i'm like good grief how many people go down and so i you know i'm really thankful that that you know things are going that well but um you know, the, the, the game of claims is, is, is always crazy. Well, baby cakes, how are you doing over there? Good. Really? Yep. So, uh, do you got any fun facts for us? I do. Fun facts with baby cakes is brought to you by Inc. The best way to get paid after an insurance claim, Inc. Save time, get paid. You can visit them on the web at Inc.com. Um, so I have a couple of facts for you this week. Um, let's see. You can't whistle with your nose plugged. Is that true? I don't know. Hang on a second. I got to try that. (laughs) I'm trying it and I cannot. You can. I just wanted to see if you guys would try it. Oh, God. (laughs) I can't. I I legit cannot. Like, here's without. Here's with. Oh, okay. Well, (laughs) I can't. Okay, so the the, the fun fact is that Jessica can't whistle with her nose. (laughs) There we go, yeah. (laughs) It's considerably more difficult, that's for sure. I did notice that. 
Did you guys know that um, Theodore Roosevelt had a pet hyena? Of course he did. If anybody had a pet hyena, it would be Theodore Roosevelt. <laughs> yes, he also had... Oops, what is wrong with my phone? He also had um, a, four, a one-legged rooster, a badger, a pony, and a small bear. So and he, a small bear. He was kind of into his critters, it sounds mm-hmm. like then, right? Yeah? Yep. Theodore Roosevelt... Man. Teddy. Maybe that's why they called him Teddy. Maybe that's why they're called Teddy Bears. I don't know. No, I I do know that I, I don't think it's after Theodore Roosevelt, but... Why do they call the lingerie a Teddy? Is that after Teddy Roosevelt? I have no idea. <laughs> Based on what I know about Teddy Roosevelt, the, 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 the Teddy didn't hang around long enough. So, <laughs> to get a name, anyway. Okay. So... Um, there is no number before 1,000 that contains the letter A. No number before the letter, before the number. <laughs> you just, you just did math, the math I can't do. You add, you, you put letters and numbers together and it didn't make any sense. Yeah. I, that's, that's interesting. It doesn't contain the letter A. Huh? Yep. There's, wow. there's E's, I's and O's and U's and Y's, but no A's until you get to a thousand. A thousand. There you go. Yeah. And one last fact. Cows do not have teeth. Front or they don't have front teeth. They don't have front teeth? Hang on a second. They don't have upper front teeth, sorry. Good to know. If I ever have to hand feed a cow, that's that's good information to have, I guess. They have a so um cows, sheep and goats have a thick layer of tissue called a dental pad and they use their bottom teeth to pull out grass, but they do not have top teeth. So basically, just look like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that everybody. Glad, the, glad the audience can't see my face. <laughs> the audience. Do it again. I'm going to take a picture of the screen. You can. Hear- <laughs> so we can all hear what it sounds like when cows eat. Jessica is going to show you what that is like one more time. <laughs> can you call me a little heifer. <laughs> And that's all I have. And um, now you know, and knowing is half the bullshit. I think it's all the bullshit this time around. <laughs> but thank you so much, Baby Cakes, for those fun facts, guys. We have got a heck of a show in store for you today where we're going to get into um, all of the different things about estimating. Uh, well, maybe not all of the different things, but stuff that you certainly need to know because, um, you know, I feel like when I first started estimating, I was denied critical need to know information. And we're going to try to make sure if you're out there writing an Xactimate that that doesn't happen to you. If you're not writing an Xactimate, we're going to try to hopefully give you some good ideas about what you should be looking for in the estimates that you're having these estimating services right for you. The action is going to come to you in three different rounds. When you hear this sound, you know that the round has begun. And when you hear this sound, you know that the round is over. I want to remind you that Jess and I are simply commentating. It is not a debate show, even though sometimes from time to time we may disagree. And when we disagree, then we will uh, have the Battle Royale cage match between her and I over it. But so far, so good. No no lives have been lost. Guys, I am looking forward to this. I uh, My proficiency in working claims happens to be an estimating. I like it quite a bit. Jessica has been trained by one of the best in the country. And so we're going to have a lot to offer here. And we're going to get into round one right after this. 
public adjusters, listen up. It's Jeremy Lavelle, owner of Remedy Claims Consulting, host of the Rumble, and most importantly, your claims coach. Public adjuster training is one of the hardest things to find. Sure, you can take some online seminars, you can show up to conferences, but none of them tailor training just for you until now. Whether you need to learn how to estimate, scope, negotiate, or prospect, I can help you drill down on the skills you want to develop. Maybe you're just starting out and you need to learn the claims process from A to Z, or you're just wanting help on strategy on a specific claim. I can help you find the traction you were looking for and learn how to truly control the narrative in the ever-changing world of claims. You can reach out to me directly at 888-596-8772, or you can find me on the web at remedyclaims.com and just click get started. That's 888-596-8772 or remedyclaims.com and click get started. You can even shoot me an email at jeremy at remedyclaims.com. That's J-E-R-O-M-Y at remedyclaims.com. It's time to move your career to the next level. Round one, the basics. I literally forgot the name of round one. <laughs> I was like, what's happening over there? We have a much longer pause. I think we have an entire time for a commercial <laughs> in, in that one. So, guys, um, the basics of estimating, and I think I think the, the number one basic is be organized. I think yes. because estimating is, is – is is you know it's like eating an elephant you know what i mean and so whether you're writing a small estimate or writing a big estimate you're going to need to be organized so what are some of the first things when you step up sort of to the estimating platform there jess and by the way do you estimate do you estimate do you write your own do you write your own estimates okay yes i do um when you estimate what is sort of the first thing you do, you know, and, and for the purposes of this conversation, there may be some of you that estimate insimbility. Um, I can talk, a, I will refer to it some, but by and large, we're going to be talking about the world of Xactimate because the 3% of you out there that use simbility, um, I will, I will try to make it worthwhile to you, but we're probably going to be sticking to Xactimate for the most part here. So yeah, sorry, what, guys. when you when you get going, how do you how do you start off on an estimate, Jess? First, I absolutely. I go ahead and fill out the administrative part of it, because once I get into estimating and get really deep into the weeds, I 100 percent of the time forget to go back and check all the administrative data to make sure that the especially when it comes to the pricing and the price sheet, sometimes I'll bring in like an ACT roof sketch or maybe a roof sketch or, or um, a docu sketch or a Matterport. I'll bring in an ESX file from somewhere else and forget to go back and double check the administrative data. So it's, it's not the sexy part of estimating, but I do that first always. Um, and then I grab the photo report. I grab, you know, all, all the necessary documents and set up my, I think they're, they're still called trees, <laughs> the folder tree in your Xactimate over in your estimate items. The way I like to do my flow, if you will, is start with everything exterior first. So the roof, so top down. So I'll start with my roof folder. Then I'll have my elevations folder and I'll break that down even further into front elevation, left, rear, right, etc. Then I'll go into the interior 
and then other structures. And at the very end, I always go back and look at the general conditions after I've had a chance to really dive deep into the whole project. Let me ask you this real quick on your other structures. I, and first of all, I do mine exactly the same way, but I do it the correct way and go front right and work counterclockwise. <laughs> I know that you do it incorrectly and work clockwise. Uh, I do. I'm working, on, I'm working on her, guys. Don't 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 judge her too don't much. Rocks. <laughs> <laughs> so no, seriously. Um, and uh, let me ask you about your other structures. Do you, when you have multiple other structures, so let's say you have, you know, a shed, a fence, a pool house, uh, a pool, obviously, how do you arrange those? Do you attack those and arrange those in any kind of specific way? Or is that just something that you don't think about? I almost always do the fence first and I'll create a line item where it's just the header and it'll say pool. And then all the line items go under that and I'll bold you know, the, the word pool, then I'll go to, uh, you know, whatever, whatever else, but usually it's fence, then sheds of any kind. And then pool, uh -huh. I usually do pool last. I, I don't think it's a rhyme or reason though. I never really thought about it until you said it, but that's about how I set them up every time. So this is how we know I'm right for working right to left as opposed to I'm working counterclockwise rather than because I do think about this. So, <laughs> uh, no, I <laughs> sorry, Chess, I'm giving you a hard time. <laughs> One of the things. So when I create the folder in the estimate tree for other structures, um, I go ahead and break out the different structures sort of like you do with interior and exterior or the the separate elevations, I will break those different structures out. So whether it's like, you know, a, a pool house or a guest house, you know, a shed, a fence, a pool or whatever, I start with items that have recoverable depreciation on it. So you PAs out there, there are some, that's just where I start. I start with a recoverable depreciation and then I go to items that are actual cash value coverages. And that's just personally how I do it. Um, if it, if it's, if it's a pool house that actually has a roof and elevations, it looks just like my other house. It looks just like the main dwelling that I'll be working with. I do it exactly the same way. I do the sheds the same way. The sheds have elevations. And if you're wondering whether or not it's recoverable depreciation or actual cash value, almost always, again, check your policy to be 100% certain. Okay. You have to check your policy to be certain on this, but generally on coverage B or other structures coverages, you're dealing with 10%. But sometimes if you have like a pool house or a guest house, there is an increase in coverage because of the value of that other structure. Because sometimes there's a shop or something like that. So you want to be clear about kind of what the coverages are on, on things and what your limits are. Um, because that could matter when you're writing that estimate. So you're going to want to know those limits. But if it's got four walls and a roof, generally it is, it is, um, it's going to be recoverable depreciation. If it doesn't, or it's not bolted to the house in some kind of way, it is going to be, it's going to be actual cash value. Um, so fences by, you know, most of the time are going to be actual cash value, but I am seeing some farmers policies, believe it or not, that are providing recoverable depreciation on fences. So you're going to have to check your policy to kind of see what those are. You've got pools, you've got all kinds of things. Um, if you're wondering whether or not something, if you're kind of on the fence, don't really know, uh, 
what other structures are or what kind of coverage it falls under, whether it falls under the dwelling or other structures, the rule of thumb there. And again, it's a rule of thumb. It's not hard and fast. You'll have to check your policy is if it services the dwelling or services access to the dwelling, it is always going to be coverage A. If it services the premises, you know, like a fence services the premises, it it reduces liability, it reduces attractive nuisances, that is going to be an other structure's coverage B. Um, incidentally, mailboxes by the street are an other structure and they're non-recoverable depreciation that sit out by the street. So, um, all of those are other structures. So that's kind of how you tell. And I do it very similar to what you do it, Jess. And I think that that is a great way to organize it. And I'm going to throw this in. Your estimate should match your photo orders. So let me let me let me drill this down for you a little bit. Let me ask you a couple of questions. So you, when you handle the interior, um, how do you organize the rooms within the interior effort? Typically, I like to run it like you start with the the entrance or the foyer um it also kind of depends on the loss if it's really tiny it's only in a bathroom and that's it then we'll just go to the bathroom but if it's a lot of a lot of the ones i've worked is hurricanes so much of the whole entire dwelling has been affected so i like to start at the entrance you know living room dining room kitchen whatever however the house flows and and i set it up to where i'm walking through the structure with an adjuster. Like there's a flow. It's not bouncing back and forth and we're flipping pages and all that stuff. Just however the home flows is how I go back into my, you know, Xactimate tree and I move, I will reorder the rooms because, you know, when you sketch it or whoever sketches it, whatever room they just started sketching with first is what shows up first on the tree. Well, I'll go back and I'll actually put it in the order of flow. So that when when I'm doing a joint inspection or if this goes before a judge and jury or whomever takes a look at this file, they flow through the house and they're not having to play a guessing game on which side of the house they're in and and all that. When you have widespread damage like um, like like with a hurricane, I think that that's probably the best way. The best way to do it is kind of start looking where the. where the mess begins and off often as we say in texas it's the foyer um or the foyer (laughs) oh yeah um you know you can you can start there like even when donna donna is the one that runs the matterport camera and i want to give a plug to her as you heard in other estimate uh, other episodes there is no better person and i know a matterport is not that hard and you don't think it's that difficult and it is very simple to operate but you'd be surprised how simple it is to mess it up she yep. makes sure that that thing is 100 percent complete and so it's nice and i believe you work to the right is that correct yeah i go to the right yeah so she works to the right it's um and 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 it's a good way to make sure that you're you're catching all the rooms and all the closets and behind the cabinets and stuff like that. It, it's always good to do that. The idea here, guys, is pick a method. Pick a method. Generally, what I do is a little bit different than Jessica, and Jessica's is just as good as the way mine is. And it doesn't really matter. What I would suggest is that you drill down on what's in, you know, however it is that you do it, because if you do it the same way over and over again, the likelihood of you making errors or mistakes or omissions is going to decrease because you're doing it the same way sort of every time. 
Um, the way that I do it is I start at the origin of loss, where the, where the damage is the greatest, and I work my way out from there, kind of. And so in my head, you're going to go start where the damage began, and you're going to work that kind of as a hub and the other rooms as spokes. Now, I would agree that, Jessica, you're right. I think when you do it that way, you're kind of flipping different pages. You're kind of go going back and forth. Well, and- and it's a hurricane too. So to say there's a source is extremely yeah. difficult. I would, if there's a source, I like your method. I, I do. I think that's well, a like great with method. A fire, like with a fire or isolated incident, like um, if you have a dishwasher that, that, that breaks or you have a, sure. but I yeah, you start know, there and then work out. I've worked to, I've worked to claim that the refrigerator upstairs leaked, but the, but the most demonstrative damage, the biggest amount of damage was actually in the basement below because that's where all the water went. You yep. know what I mean? So down the wall cavity through yep, all that. One of the things that I can I can offer as a suggestion to you guys when you are putting an estimate together if you want to be nice, if you want to be nice and you want to be diplomatic and you want to work with the carrier as opposed to opening with I'm an asshole. Um I look at the order that the carrier wrote his estimate in. And if I can and if I can match that order so that he can do the side by side comparison of his estimate to your estimate or whoever their field adjusters estimate was, I will go ahead and match that. Now, one thing I will not do under any circumstances is change the that's only on the interior. And I want to preface that the roof always goes first. If I have a roof in my claim, it's always going to go first. But on the interior, as far as the order of the rooms goes, I really, I honestly try to match. If I'm working with the carrier's estimate, I try to go ahead and match their order so that they can do the good old fashioned Pepsi challenge between my estimate and their estimate. So I mean, that's a that's another way if you just if you're having a hard time drilling down on a method on a particular loss or you have multiple origins of loss, that's a good default thing to go to is just however the carrier um, has got their estimate written. That way you can go back and forth and you and you can work with their estimate because I look at their estimate. Do you use their estimate when you're writing a file? If I have it. If I have it, yes. Um, again, hurricanes are just such a different beast. But if I'm talking a roof claim or, or a, just a you know pipe burst or something like that, if I have the estimate, yes, I, I do look at that first. Um, but I never, I, I didn't really think to put it in the same order as they did. That's uh, that is kind of a nice thing. Well, and I mean, and it and it really kind of supports now. To even drill down a little bit further, because we're talking about the basics here, and there's a lot of, and remember, what I opened up with is the overall organization of your file is going to be important. So if I am dealing with, you know, water from a roof leak, I typically work from the top of the, I work from the ceiling down to the floor. Ceiling walls to floor. Yes, if sir. I am working from water that is invaded from underneath the baseboards, I'm working from the floor up. Um, and I keep all of that in order, no matter where I'm working. So even within that, one of the things, Jess, you said when we were off the air was that you start with mitigation, you start with the mitigation. And that's one of the things that I look at is I think about the order that the job is actually completed in from the time that you walk in, the room is damaged. What's the first thing we're going to do? Well, we're going to 
manipulate the contents and then we're going to Mm -hmm. um, complete whatever demo and mitigation that we've got to do. And then the next thing that we're going to do is we're going to prepare the area. And sometimes you got to clean the area up. If you're looking at a lot of, if you're looking at a lot of damage, that final clean that we like to put at the bottom of our estimate, sometimes there's a, there's a significant amount of debris haul off. If your ceiling's caved in, you know what I mean? There's a significant amount of debris haul off. And so you look and, and think about how the job at hand in this particular room is going to be completed. That's another thing that I do. Jess, do you match that? Or, I mean, do you have a different way within the room? Well, I'll caveat to saying, you know, I, I when I say I start with mitigation, I tread lightly because, you know, as PAs, we're not the mitigation experts. You know, that, that kind of opens us up to some liability. But... Um, I try to think of, look, this is all wet. I know a two foot flood cut's going to need to be have. I'll put in there, tear out wet drywall, two foot flood cut or a wet carpet or, you know, I'll put some of those things in there as far as equipment and all those calculations and, and, you know, mold testing or any of that other stuff. You know, I leave that completely 100% to the experts. Um, so I do put that note in my, in my estimates that although I am IICRC certified, I am not representing, you know, as an expert mitigation you know, uh, yeah, professional is handy there when you're talking about yes. that third party yes. it is handy there. Yep. Yes. But I'm, what I find is that there are so many, and I know so many of you PAs out there are going to shake your head going, yes, praise, praise. Yes. I agree. There are so many mitigation companies out there that will not write in it. They don't write an estimate. They wait for the insurance proceeds and the insurance company's estimate. So then when the PA gets involved, you're like, well, where's your, where's your estimate and your invoice? Well, we don't have one. We have dry logs, which is good. Good, I'll take the dry logs, but you know, we're 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 not supposed to be that expert that writes that part of the estimate. You know, you right. guys are. And I agree. So I completely, there's a struggle. I completely agree. Yeah, you gotta come up with an invoice somehow and how and what you're gonna charge. So that's that's really and truly kinda on you. And that's what I let them do. It's like what are you charging? What's your invoice? You know what I mean? So And then some of the other basics, you know, that people forget is to check your settings in and again, we're gonna talk exactimate real quick. Check your settings. Make sure that when you put your windows in your walls, that it removes that uh, square footage from your paint calculations and stuff like Man, that. Because when you we when you get into whole round, yeah on preference yeah. setting your preferences up, we could do a whole other round on preferences. So, yeah, so I mean, just basics is is check all of your settings, check your administrative data, check your organization. That's the basics. I just want to say this. Real quick, if you're new to Xactimate, or even if you've been working in Xactimate a long time, because I've been working in Xactimate since it was version 27, is what I wow. think my my first my first version of Xactimate was. Um, and so I've been writing for a long time, and I want to give a good shout out to my friend Elena Wilson um, with Estimate Ministry. That girl does some really good YouTube videos and she she's very good about keeping things separate. So she's not going to give you a whole bunch of tutorial on the entire package. She's going to drill down to one thing. She's going to talk about one thing and how to do one thing. So they're very easy, consumable videos. And so if you're wanting yes. to know how to do something specific in Xactimate, um, whether it's global changes or how you or how you go and change, if you if you're going to use like um, <laughs> like if you're 
if you're doing something and you do it in every room and you've made a mistake in every room because you have a copy and paste error, there's ways that you can go in and I'm not going to get into it where you can change that one line item. It changes it in every room. There are tips and tricks like that, that, um, Elena gets into. And, uh, if you search estimate mastery on YouTube, you get all of those videos. And so there's some really great basic estimatic training, um, there that she just happens to be my favorite. Do you have a, and I know you were trained by Steve Harmon. Steve Harmon does a yes. really good job. He does a fantastic job on, yep, on I, well, after I became a PA, I thought, okay, so now, now I got to know how to do this estimating thing. And everybody uses this particular software. So, yep, I guess I need to take a class. And so I researched, you know, around, and then I found, came across Steve Harmon. Turns out he was coming to either San Antonio or Dallas. Now I don't remember. Probably, I think San Antonio. Anyway, paid for the course, hands down, still to this day, some of the best money I've ever spent on my professional development and education. Um, I went ahead and paid for his templates and macros. And honestly, he is, he is the only estimator that I've trained under. He's the only estimating professional that, you know, I still call up every now and then and go, like, like especially we're about to get into some general conditions talk. I mean, he, I didn't even know what those were when I, right. yeah, <laughs> I, right. I called him up and I said, Hey, what is this? What is this? Because, you know, we've talked about this, whatever goes into your estimate, you have to be able to defend. Don't just copy paste. Think about what you're putting in there. And I didn't know what they were. So yeah, he's everything that comes out of my mouth. We're talking about estimating. I mean, I, I can't take credit for it. It's, it's, you know, Steve Harmon. So I, and I just want I just want to wrap up round one with this really, really quickly cheap, shameless plug for myself. If you're having a hard time getting into a class, I do do one one-on-one -on -one training. If you're interested in one-on-one -on -one training on Xactimate, you can reach out to me, but Steve Harmon does a lot of, of them. I know Cal Spoon hosts, um, levels one and two. I cannot certify you and Xactimate also has certified trainers out there that you can reach out to. So what I want to bring, what I want to finish this with is, is you're not going to figure out the nuances of Xactimate all by yourself. So nope. go find, go find some training. That's what I would say. Yes. Guys, we're going to get into general conditions as Jess was talking about earlier, and uh, it's going to be round two and it starts right after this. One of the most difficult claims you can work is a contents claim. It requires extreme detail and significant documentation. Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services is the expert you need on your side. She will handle on-site evaluation, inventory, photo documentation, pricing, and overall contents claim organization. She will work with your team beginning to end so you can focus on the rest of the claim. Do your client a favor and call Ricky McGregor with Monarch Claim Services. You can reach her at 515-783-1434. That's 515-783-1434 or find her on the web at monarchclaimservices.com. Round two, general conditions. So Jess, I'm just going to throw this one at you. General conditions, go. <laughs> General conditions, it's something I had never heard of until I took Steve Harmon's class and until I saw his, you know, templates and macros and whatnot. Um, I, you know, I had seen the estimates before, you know, you did the roof and you called it a day. You did a water loss, you called it a day. You did, you know, X, Y, Z. You, you focused on the actual, just the general or, or the line items pertaining to that room or that roof or whatever. But to step back and think about the other things that a GC or general contractor would have to provide for that project as a whole. 
you know, in addition to um, that, I was like, what? What are what are general conditions? And yeah. what that the particular job, yeah, what that particular yeah. job needs to actually perform the repairs, right? Yes, and the more contractors I talk to, I mean, it, it is. It's something that's very specific to general contractors. They have these things called general conditions, and guess what? They cost money. They are not a part of doing business. They are not part of the line items in Xactimate. It's not part of the labor or the materials. They are specific to the job and they need to be accounted for. And so when I was digging through, you know, his, his folders and his templates, I was looking and studying all the different things he was considering a general condition. And I was just mind blown. I was like, I, you know, (laughs) man, I, I think I got my general conditions lesson drilled down on top of me during COVID, you know, and I, oh, I think, yeah, I, think I learned a lot, especially with the PPE that was having, that was, that was additional and above what most people would do on any given work project that, that kind of changed the landscape of estimating um, on insurance claims a lot. And I, and I think there's still some lingering things that we all learned there that we've added into our estimates that make, um, that are important. I just saw a post, um, on level the playing field, Steve Patrick put it up and it was just a picture of it kind of looks like a ladder with like a elevator that, that that lifts shingles up to the uh up to the roof. And we were talking um at the beginning of the show, and I was gonna look at this real quick and see if the line item actually includes the roof being loaded. And so I'm gonna check that right now. Um but these are things that fall under general conditions. And as an IA, one of the things I forgot with regularity was the dumpster haul off. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And one yes. of, and I, and I want to tell you, I, you know, even if all you're doing is a roof, you're going to hear the carrier tell you, well, um, haul offs included in the line item. And they're not wrong. The haul off of the shingles in the felt is, but all of the new construction material, all of the wrappers, all of the, yep. you know, all of the, you know, the, the boxes for the vents, the old vents, they're not included in that haul off. And so you're going to want to account for that. I mean, at least I think you should account for it because it's all off that has to happen. You know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. I think that that's one of the things that you uh, that you definitely want to consider um, when it comes to um, haul off, because there's a lot there. And don't just assume that it's included in the line item, even with shingles. Um and it says right here, it does not include, it used to say back in the day, way, way back in the day, that it included the labor to load the roof, and it is no longer in there. Um, hmm. I will tell you that it does, that this line on does, uh, does uh, exclude underlayment. Um, two layers of starter are required in, you know, in, in certain situations, you've got to look at that. And that's one of the biggest things. And I'm kind of going back to the basics. Guys, read your details, read the details of the line item that you're putting in to know exactly what it includes. But Steve had this picture of basically what looked like an elevator on a ladder that lifted the shingles up because OSHA requires you to maintain three points of contact at all times when you're scaling a ladder. And how do you do that with a bundle of shingles on your shoulder? That's a very that's a very difficult thing to do because one hand is holding the shingles, the other hand is holding the ladder until that hand needs to what? 
move up the ladder and then you're no longer yep. maintaining three points. So that is a, that is a necessary non-negotiable as we put in, in one of our previous episodes, a non-negotiable item non-negotiable. that needs to be on that job. And I'm going to start adding that thing to every one of my estimates. It was something that I did not think about where you put this is right there in the general conditions. And what I it's, have, yeah, I've, the done. one I I'm use is the, the, I've been using the SCF LJ, which is the two ladders with jacks and a plank per day. But uh-huh. I don't think that thing is, I never looked to see if that thing was like, you know, movable or motorized in any way. But uh, yeah, that, when I saw that one, it was actually motorized and moves. I was like, wow. That's- yeah, I, and and I, don't, I don't know exactly what all you call that, but I mean, there's certain different, I mean, I, I don't know what that line item would be off the top of my head, but it's, 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 it's actually very interesting that that thing is there. And no matter what it is, you can use a miscellaneous line item, change the description and figure out what the rental or what the cost on yes. that thing would be yes, for that. And I'm thinking, you know, 150 bucks or something like that should be fair on that. I'm I mean, I, you know, I don't know exactly what the actual cost on it would be. Ladder jacks, you can often use ladder jacks where you're not having to change levels. But like I use ladder jacks to paint ceilings almost always. You know what I mean? If you get up above 14 feet in Xactimate, you can add a a height charge and you can also add... um, you can also add ladder jacks to reach it. So, I mean, there's 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 all of these different nuances when it comes to like macros. General conditions is one of the places that I would allow my students to use a macro. Um, I am not a big fan of macros that you apply to like a, no. I don't like a roof macro personally because no. every roof is different. Some roofs have turtle vents, some roofs have turbine vents, and some roofs have chimney flashing. Some don't, you know, because they don't have chimneys. And it's a good way to leave something in there. And on the public adjuster contractor side, understand this. The further you get from the carrier, the more accurate you're required to be. And you start throwing a chimney flashing on an estimate and there is no chimney, you're going to lose the confidence of that desk adjuster really quickly. One could, I mean, and if it makes it all the way to deposition, it could be looked at as a fraudulent item in your estimate. So. You want to be careful about that, of careful with macros. I mean, if you've been riding an Xactimate for 10 years and you have macros, I'm not talking to you. What I'm talking to is the one or two-year guys that are just trying to figure out a way to make a three-hour estimate take one hour. And, guys, I'm just telling you, you will do yourself a service if you just take time and write the estimate. So, um, And you'll learn line items like crazy. Um General conditions are really important because you have to think about yep. you have to think about the exterior general conditions, mm-hmm. and then you have to think about the interior general conditions and what and what is going. If you're working overhead, if you're working overhead, you you want to consider some of those things. You may want to consider some caution tape. You know what I mean yep. to keep that yes. keep that area closed. Now, if 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 it's heavy and you know there's issues there. And you're working in that, and like if you're in a commercial thing, if hard hats are required, that that is that is necessary personal protection equipment. That if that person is working that job, that's like a tool. In my opinion, there now there are people that disagree with me, but I don't think that person is going to buy one hard hat. I know because I've owned them. You know, I don't buy a hard hat for every job. I buy one hard hat and I carry that hard hat with me to every job I go. I care. I buy one pair of safety goggles. It's got a lifespan. 
of, you know, depending on the job or what's going on, I would use those safety goggles on every job for a, for a period of time. So those certain things I don't think should be included, but things that make the job site safer, I think right. should be included in an estimate. I, absolutely. And it also, and, and you know what, one of the things that I argue is some of those safety items that you put in the general conditions, Jess, is part of, you know, mitigating from further damage. You know, it really and truly is, is it's, it's creating an environment where you're not going to do more damage because if you fall and land on something, you know what I'm saying? Um, you know, fall through a ceiling. I've stuck my foot through a ceiling before, you know, those are all things because mitigating from further damage is an ongoing effort. It's not just something that you do. It's not just putting a bucket under a leak. It's an ongoing effort. And as a public adjuster or a contractor, that is 100% your responsibility to think about and perform 100% your job. You know, and and you want to represent that homeowner and make make sure that the guidelines of that policy are being upheld. But general conditions are are important. And I left them off my estimate for so long. I didn't even think about them. Mm -hmm. You know, I did, too. So things like your your temporary repairs. If there's no power anywhere, uh, contractor's got to run a generator. Yep. He's got to run a generator, Um, you know, tarps, permits and fees, um, you know, landfill fees. Water, like if you're cutting tile and the water's turned off sure. to the house, you yeah. gotta you gotta have water. Yep. <laughs> those are those are things that you gotta think about that job. Yeah, for sure. If you if you have to have an architect or an engineer come in, their fees, that's considered, you know, a general condition to the project as a whole. Temporary toilets, um, fall protection, scaffolding, storage. I throw, my, I throw my storage, stor- job site storage. Now yeah. this storage for this one wouldn't isn't we'll get to pack out later but this one is is job site like if you're if yeah, you need a container and, and yeah. store the materials there yeah right I mean, absolutely um storage is important sometimes it's sometimes it's material storage not content storage exactly. but That's material right. storage yeah absolutely yep. um yep. man those are god i feel like i've been writing shitty estimates for about the past <laughs> six months Go Harmon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, you know, especially when you've got several days of insulate, like drywall. You know, I mean, you're not ordering a day's worth of drywall, and often it That's can right. be put in the house. And you, generally, the house is dried in by the time you start hanging drywall. But these are these are all considerations that you have to think of that um, that go into the cost of 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 building out an estimate, you know, or building out you know a project, especially in a world. Right. These general conditions are really, really important, especially in a world where carriers are rather stingy with the overhead and profit approval, you know. And and so if you're not getting overhead and profit, that's the first place I would go look is I would I would tax them with every general condition I could conceivably think of that would be warranted and true and honest. You know, those are those are places where you can get some items in an estimate that are legitimate. I'm not talking about putting fluff in an estimate. I'm talking about legitimate items that are legitimate costs that are not associated with line items elsewhere. Right. And and so many times, so many times you will. uh, One of the biggest arguments that you hear carriers throw out there is items like that are included in the paint line item. So. And I was like, yeah. only up to a certain height is it included? Yep. You know, I'm not asking for paint brushes and hammers. I'm asking for the conditions and what it takes to 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 get this job completed. 
And so those are all, I, I mean, I could go all day just on, on what we need to be doing to make sure that these things are done properly and safely, you know? So, yeah. um, <clears throat> the oh, use- and then of course there's the administrative supervisor hours. Well, yeah. And <laughs> it's, an I other, mean, it's a general condition. It's general it's a, to the project. Do I think every job needs a supervisor? Absolutely. Do most jobs have them in the residential world? No, they do not. Um, or, you know, and, and I would think I would think if you're trying to add supervisor hours, this is my little tip to you is work with your general contractor and say who's in jo- who's in charge of supervising it. You want supervisor hours? I don't have any problem with that. I do require that somebody actually be doing it. And it's not just part to inflate your margin. You know, I mean, and that's that's just where I fall on that. And one of the ways it can be calculated for folks that may struggle with, well, how do you calculate supervisor hours? Um, one of the things that um, Mr. Harmon teaches is under the labor summary of your exactimate estimate, do the whole estimate first, because in the background, exactimate is calculating and tallying all of those labor hours. You can go at the very end, you can go to your labor summary. It will calculate all of the labor hours that are associated with completing that project. And then I divide it by seven because there have been a lot of studies that show typical span of control is between five and seven. So I err on the side of the insurance company on this one and go seven. Seven. So, so it, it's a hundred hours to divide it by seven crew members. Cause it would be more expensive. If it's divided by five. So you know, yeah, sure. Yeah, by seven. Yeah. I think that that's actually a pretty good rule of thumb there between five and seven. I think that's and what, and if you really, really, really want to support it, tell them how you got that number. Number yep, one. That's what I do. I put in the F9 you, note. Tell them how you got that number. And it would be real handy, possibly, if you had a name of the individual that was providing the supervision on whatever day, maybe a sign-in sheet, something along those lines that shows the day and kind of the actions that were, you know, performed while they were there supervising. I, you know, and that needs to be not created at the time that we're trying to write this estimate. But basically, this this is just supporting documentation. You know, these are just things that you can add to it to support that it's actually being done. Do you have a follow up to that, Jess? I mean, what do you think about that? Um, I, I would... I think that might be something a contractor might want to do as a cover themselves, you know, CYA kind of thing. Um, I don't know as a PA that I would be requesting that or put that in the estimate, but it would definitely be a, Hey, if you're going to request this, cover your butt and document it somewhere. And I'll back you up. If you've got, if you've got somebody that's show, if you've got somebody that's showing up on a daily basis, and I know most of those project supervisors, one of the things that they do is they kind of show up, sort of in the morning, they kind of line out the crews, whatever sort of trade happens to be there. They talk about what needs to be done. They sort of line it up. They open up, they unlock the property. They make sure that the material is accounted for. They get any, they get a list of anything that may be missing to complete the job for the day. And then they, they depart somewhere an hour or two after kind of work begins. And then at at the end of the day, they come back and they kind of monitor the progress of the job. They look at the progress of the job. They figure out if there's any problems. So they, you know, and and they're kind of problem solving as the job goes on. And then obviously at the end of the day, they secure the location. 
And so those are those are jobs that are done on a daily basis, especially in a hurricane situation where nobody's living there. Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. most of these most of these, you know, undertakings when we had the big freeze here in Texas, I mean, nobody was living at home, you know, I mean, because because everything we had pipe breaks all over the place we had you know and when you have multiple origins of loss kind of like we were talking about in round one you know you've gotta you've got to address these and it and it consumes the entire house and so these things have to be secured materials that weren't used today and you can't lock the house up you got to make sure that that job site container is locked up that the tools are put away whatever the case may be you certainly want to keep a running inventory and understanding what's going on and that's the job of the job supervisor or project manager, you know, whatever yep. you want to call it there. So, well, guys, we're going to uh, move on out of general conditions and we are going to jump into um, pack out or like content manipulation, whatever you kind of want to call it in round three. Round three starts right after this. When choosing someone to help with your online marketing, make sure you go with someone that has years of experience. Our good friend Sally at Thrive has over 20 years of digital marketing experience. She can build you a beautiful 15-page, sleek, interactive website, post on your social media platforms multiple times a week. She can do a video, an amazing CRM to manage and uh, maintain and nurture your clients, text, email marketing, review generation, a business listing on 60 plus search engines, including three voice networks, appointment scheduling, estimates, invoices, payment processing, and more. She will also create for you on uh, on Google, a Facebook page, in Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. If you need these for your businesses, she'll, she'll help you create those pages on all of those sites. You already have these pages. She'll optimize them for you as well call or message sally today if you want to get started you can reach her at 214-789-1651 again her name is sally brigance her number is 214-789-1651 and uh, you'll also get a landing page the day you sign up when you send her a referral that signs up with her she'll credit your billing account Logos are also available, um, and she also offers a lead generation service in SEO, search engine optimization, where she can uh, guarantee you to appear on the first page of Google or your money back. It is spelled T-H-R-Y-B, and you can find my good friend Sally Brigance, and that's spelled S-A-L-L-I-E. Brigance, B-R-I-G-A-N-C-E, and she can be reached once again at 214-789-1651. Round three, the pack out. Now, this is something that I usually put at the very top of my... Now, you, we call it the pack out, but there can be stuff... When we talk about content manipulations and carriers the world over think it's one line item, you know, and they and they take the square footage of a room and they basically go, it's either a large room, a medium room or a small room, or they may throw labor hours at it, depending on their depending on their guidelines. Well, I'm going to tell you that rarely is content manipulation as simple as one line item. You know, there are other things that need to go with 
the labor because content manipulation essentially is is essentially just moving the item from one place to another. That's so it, that yep. work that's that's all it is. It is the the grabbing a hold of it, picking it up, and moving it to another room or moving it out of the way so that work can be performed. It yep. does not include. I'm going to tell you what it does not include putting like a moving blanket over it, especially if you have to move it through a doorway so that you don't beat up the doorway on the way out when you're moving the dresser out of the room. You know, it does, it does not cover, it doesn't cover those moving blankets. That's called blocking and padding. That's what that's called. So you might want to add that line item to that, you know, um, and you need to think and consider how long it's going to take to move it out. So I typically do not use the small, medium, large room. I typically take a look at the room and evaluate it on a room-by-room -room basis and use labor hours. What do you do in that situation, Jess? Do you use labor hours? Is that what you use? Yep. Yeah, I sure do. So I usually start with content manipulation charge per hour. Um, well, first, there's, there's two ways you can kind of organize this. Um, some people do pack out at the very end, looking at the whole project, how many boxes would I need to provide to move all of this out? I prefer to break my boxes and, and actual room manipulation type things in the room itself. Like, so, so if I'm in the master bedroom, I'll put my pack out line items in the master bedroom at the, at the, the end. So, okay. and, and then, and, and then also account for pack back. Like, I mean, it's got to come back. It's got to be unpacked and got to be put back where it belongs. Sure. What I'll put for the end end, like down maybe in general conditions, I'll create one line and call it um, content storage. Is all that's where I'll put the moving van and you know the, the the storage unit if it's applicable. Things that aren't don't necessarily pertain to a room in particular, but you know you got to have it to get the contents out and stored. So per room, I usually start with content manipulation. And then there's another line item specifically for evaluation, like the inventorying. Somebody's yeah. got to inventory that stuff. You can't just throw it all in boxes. They got to label it, tag it. I mean, there's a whole system and process to make sure that nothing gets lost. And then we'll go into things like, you know, providing boxes, um, your, your bubble wrap, your, you know, your, your large rolls of wrap. Um, boxes, different size boxes. You've got those. Yep. Yep. Tape. Different. Uh-huh. Now, I had one recently where it was this massive trophy, what they called the trophy room, and it had huge moose heads and deer heads. And I mean, this is stuff that's been passed down from generations as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I reached out to um, some packing professionals and they say, oh, well, when it comes to stuff like that, we use crates. So I got on Uline and I looked up the different crates that would fit to at least get a, a ballpark estimate. And uh, I mean, that, that's other things that you got to think of. So inside that room, that's, that's where I would put that type of stuff. But the whole reason I think we were, we brought up this round is people forget pack out. You Thank have you. to move the stuff and protect it so that the contractors can get in there and do their thing and get out. I think the biggest thing is the protected part. I think that that while there's lots of people that will remember the labor labor hours to manipulate the contents, they often don't think about the amount of time and material that it takes to protect it. And I right. think that that is that is super super critical when it comes to those things. Um, I cannot I cannot say enough how how often this is overlooked. 
um, I would be I would be careful about maybe labeling it um, <laughs> pack out because sometimes you know you'll you'll run into carriers that don't don't think a pack out in those words are warranted. You know what I mean? They can just move it into another room. It's like I appreciate that they can just move it into another room. You know what I mean? Um, right, but, but it's still. There's, there's, we still got to protect the, you know, the, the doorway that the stuff is passing through. Are we going to have to take the door off the hinges to get that right. armoire out of it? Some of those things have to happen. You know what I mean? And those are things that you need to be evaluating and thinking about. Are you going to miss some? Absolutely. You're going to miss some. I mean, and that's okay. You know, um, that's another good reason to have somebody who you think is an experienced estimator putting some eyeballs on your estimate and thinking about stuff, you know. Um, I spent a good portion of my time with the carrier being a file reviewer. And so I, you know, I am, I'm kind of a, kind of a hard ass about some of those things because I, I like a well-written, well-organized estimate and making mm -hmm. sure that we account for everything. And look, I'm not just trying to fluff an estimate here with these packout items. The issue is, is that the carrier owes for them. And because Xactimate is a component line item estimating system it's not accounted for in these other line items. It's just not. And so you may hire a painter that comes in and looks at a room and goes, okay, uh, if I've got to figure, I got to do all this, I'm going to paint this room, you know, for $1,300 and you're going 1300 bucks and you put it into Xactimate and it comes out at $400. That's why is because all of these additional late, it's not because that painter likes to charge a bunch of extra money. It's because of all of the extra work it takes to actually paint that specific room. And that's why sometimes you're finding these subs that come in with these really high prices, or a lot of people believe that whether it's Simbility or Xactimate, and Simbility more than Xactimate, because you want to talk about a non-exclusionary stuff, if you want to know what the details are on, an, on a Simbility estimate, is read the description, because that's all it is. You know what I mean? It, and there is not a lot of inclusionary stuff in Simbility, and that's why Simbility estimates appear to come out low a lot of times, or at least that is part of the reason they come out low, is because you have to add every single thing. And I'm just going to give you an example. They in, in Xactimate, to detach and reset a switch plate is part of the painting line item. In, in, in Simbility, you got to count them and account for the detaching and resetting of those switch plates or the masking of those switch plates, however you want to handle it. You've got to account for those things. It's not included in the painting line. That's just one example, and I could go on and on and on and on about that stuff. Simbility goes up to 9 feet, whereas Xactimate goes up to 14 feet. Um, there's, there's all of these, there's all of these differences, and you've got to account for these things. And that's why sometimes when you do a Simbility estimate, it spits out a little bit lower. Now, that being said, I do believe they're priceless in general for labor hours and what they pay for labor hours is a bit lower than what Xactimate pays for labor hours. But you've got to consider these things. And the packout is something that is that is regularly overlooked as far as the amount of work that goes into getting that stuff done. Now, I know sometimes they just move, you know, the TV away from the wall and they'll put a drop cloth on it. You know what I mean? Sometimes it's it's less, and that's where you're going to want to communicate with the contractor. It's like, hey, what's yep. going to make this job easy and fast for you? You know what yep. I mean? Because we can throw labor hours at something to make this job easy and fast and get these people back in their home as quickly as possible. So, 
you know, those are all those are all really, really good, good thoughts when it comes to the pack out. Um, I think yeah, just be mindful of things like, you know, kitchens. Kitchens are always going to be extra labor. It's, you know, packing up every little dish, every little. I mean, depends on what the loss is, but assuming you have to empty the kitchen and all the cabinets have to come out for whatever reason. That's, yeah, you just can't that's manipulate. Not just a little hour gig, you know. Yeah, you're not going to manipulate contents and in, in, in one line item for a kitchen. That is a pack out. There is no way that you can change out the cabinets or even work in the pantry without some boxes, bubble wrap, tape, yep. labeling. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I was going to say this: um, when it comes to that evaluation or the inventory that you were talking about before. <laughs> I don't really know how to put this. I'm going to start with some carriers don't pay for the inventory. You should know that some carriers will not pay for the inventory. How do I know that? Because I just had a long conversation with a rather prominent carrier um, that will not pay for the evaluation of the inventory. They just will not pay for it. They consider it to be a duty after the loss, and that is a responsibility of the insured, and it's not something that they'll pay for it. So, yeah, I had the same look on my face, Jess. Uh, it is That is just something what? that I'm dead serious, and it is a very prominent carrier that believes that. Maybe they're misunderstanding. Like, I get if you're if you have to do your own inventory for damaged contents that makes 100 percent. you know that that is duties after a loss right prove your damages prove your loss but inventorying items that go in packed into a box and then come and be unpacked that inventory is related to the pack out itself box number 12 is on shelf five at the warehouse that's they have to pay for that that is unbelievable now now if they if they misunderstood you and they, what they were thinking in their head was damaged inventorying. Yeah, okay, I could buy that. Well, I would also throw this out there. When it, when it comes to the dam- damage inventory when you're looking at a pack out, is assessing whether or not this thing gets packed or whether it needs to go to evaluation to be clean. You know, like electronics, mm-hmm. for example. Whether, you know, what it what needs to be done with this item, that evaluation. Now, the, the homeowner is going to give you a list. If they're asking for the duties after the loss from the homeowner, that's fine. It's like all of the stuff in this room is wet. So here's the list of the stuff in this room. But there requires some professional attention. Like, for example, if we've got a water loss and we've got a plunger and we've got to get all of this stuff out of there or a toilet brush, work with me here, work with me here. Are we going to pack and store a toilet brush or is it more cost effective to pitch that sucker in the trash and just buy a new one? Because I believe that it is more cost effective to throw some things away and not pay for a month or two months of storage for a toilet brush when we could just throw it in the trash and go spend seven dollars and have a new one. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise, you're spending, you know, however much time to because when that stuff comes back out of storage, would it be legitimate to have those items at least wiped down and cleaned? Because if you're not including that in your pack back, you're missing something. That's right. Yep clean it you know you still have to clean and i'm talking it's a light clean i'm not talking i'm talking about wiping right. it down with a rag dusting it i'm not talking yep. about Q-tips and small solutions i'm talking about you know general you know it needs to be dusted because it's sat in storage for the past two three six twelve months whatever it is 
you know, and these are things that need to be considered because a lot, sometimes the packout company won't do that. They'll come in, they'll drop boxes. And so whose job is it to do it? It's labor that either the contractors handling with the people that are assisting them and putting stuff back, or it's the homeowner themselves that are having to wipe these things down and put them away. So, and I had a conversation with a carrier about the delineation of those things and sorting through it and they would not pay it. That's absolutely astounding to me. That's messed up. And, and whether or not it's a, you know, and, and this particular carrier, we turned our inventory in that was separated between salvageable and unsalvageable. It was separated into individual rooms. We did all of this extra work to organize the inventory where the, where the policy just requires for you to make a list, price it and depreciate it. That's the requirements of the policy that is in the duties after a loss. That is the proof that they require. The policy says nothing about taking photographs. The policy only basically wants a description of the item, the value of the item and the depreciation of it. And that's the only proof that they ask for. There's no Mm -hmm. photos, but when you get into it, I promise you this, they want more. So that more that they're asking for and require in order to extend coverage costs money. And that is what I was arguing with this one particular carrier. It's that part that I'm asking to be paid for. It's because it's not the list. The list is simple. That list is easy. You know, and when you deal with a large inventory, something that's extensive and you've got multiple rooms, yes, it is a little bit tedious. And the reason that it's the responsibility of the insured is because nobody else knows what your shit is. You know what I mean? You're the only one that knows what it is. And remember this, when you're inventorying and you're packing stuff out, everybody knows about the sofa and the TV on the wall. What nobody looks at is the file folders, post-it notes, and and, and paper clips that we've got to address and be concerned with. So remember, all of these things matter, especially when you're assessing damage. And I could get into a whole contents. In fact, I'm hoping that we get Ricky McGregor on at some point in time to discuss sort of the handling of the contents. But um, pack out is a key part of just about every estimate. And don't forget, sometimes when you're looking at repairing those sheds or those pool houses and stuff like that, yep. those, things, those garages, sometimes they have to be packed out as well. So do not leave that off of your estimate. Guys, that's going to do it for estimating. I think we could do like 11 shows. You know what I mean? Just on estimating alone, and we could really drill down on the nitty-gritty. If you like this subject of estimating, if there are those of you that like it, Jess and I are both very proficient estimators, and we are happy to get into some of your different questions about how to handle an exterior portion of a loss and the interior portion of a loss. Just drop that down in the comments below and if you have any questions we'll try to get an answer to you really really quick and if you would like to have an entire show on estimating once again we are happy to oblige that would you be down for that jess to talk about the finer points of s i would too i love it and look caveat is i'm i am by no means an expert at estimating whatsoever it's i've always looked at it as an art you can get 10 people in a room looking at this same loss and you'll get 10 different estimates But I will say that the person I have listened to the most in writing my own estimates, because, you know, sometimes you work for firms when you turn in an estimate, the the firm owner or whomever 
you know, that, that final authority takes your estimate and, and they do with it what they will. But when I'm writing my own, the only person I have ever gone back to time and time again was Mr. Hartman. So I, it's not that I'm, you know, super knowledgeable, but I definitely paid attention to one of the best in the industry. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, guys, before I let you go, I want to remind you that's coming up on March the 5th is um, is the Control the Narrative training that's going to be held right Yay. here in Dallas. I hope very soon, like shortly after the first of the year, you will be able to sign up for it. But I want you to go ahead and save the date, if you don't mind, because we're going to get into all kinds of um, we're going to get into all kinds of uh, um, training about how to handle claims website. If you want to sign up for it and you want to get on our mailing list so that you regularly stay updated, go to remedyclaims.com forward slash training and you can get on our mailing list. So I don't want you guys to forget about that. Obviously, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be doing the bulk of the teaching, and we'll have some additional experts that um, that uh, give you their insight on what their particular craft and their expertise is, and you don't want to miss it. Um, guys, if you liked this episode, please take some time to like and subscribe to The Pain of the Claim on YouTube or anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And uh, in the meantime, stay ready so you don't have to get ready and we will see you on the next one.